So let me make sure I got this right. 87,000 IRS agents dressed in drag and high on rainbow fentanyl are coming to take our gas stoves and replace them with electric ranges has been smuggled across the U.S. border by Mexican cartels. But not to worry, because we're going to get to the bottom of whether or not the green M&M is a lesbian, the body composition of the purple M&M, and we can smoke in the Capitol building again. That's pretty much where we're at. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity, and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, how are you doing on this Thursday, the final Thursday of January? It's the Stone On Air podcast. My name is Brian, at Stone On Air on all social media, and yeah, the M&M's thing. What in the hell is going on in this very weird, weird, weird country we live in? Where does this stuff come from? Holy Jesus. Thanks for finding the show. I mean, I really hate them all. Really, it's not just mine. So, I, I, I honestly don't even know what this Eminem's thing is. And I am going to make sure that I never actually really understand it. Once upon a time, I'll get to laying out the show here in a minute. Once upon a time, all I did was eat, breathe, and sleep media and uh, the headlines and what's going on. And I took pride in it and I, I, I enjoyed it to a certain degree. Uh, certainly annoying as hell a lot of the times, but... I always was kind of up to speed on what's going on. And and now it's gotten basically to where if if I find out that somebody watches local, or excuse me, not local, uh, cable news networks, MSNBC, Fox, those are the two worst. CNN's reshuffled deck is awful, pretty cra- pretty crappy, uh, and it already was crappy to begin with. And I, I can't trust that person. I can't trust somebody who spends any amount of time consuming that kind of content. And unfortunately, because I'm a social media addict for the most part, when it comes to TikTok and Twitter and and not as much the other ones, but I always have been, that's a place where you can also get that same garbage information. So I guess maybe that's no better and I'm no better than the person who watches the cable news. But there, there isn't often times that I talk to somebody who was like, oh, yeah, I love that Tucker Carlson guy. That was really good. Oh, man, that CNN, uh, Anderson Cooper, that was a great show last night. I don't really find that all that much. But every now and again, I do. And a guy I work with, well, I was, I'm going to talk more about CN, CNBC a little bit a little bit later on. But I, And I've talked about it here. They canceled the show because nobody watched it. The news with Shepard Smith, which was just the freaking news. And it was actually really good. And I was talking to a dude at work about it, guy who I respect for the most part. But... Um, and I was like, hey, if you want real news, dude, watch this. And then he was like, yeah, no, I like that. He's pretty good. And then he's somewhere is like, yeah, and I, you know, I'll watch Tucker Carlson sometimes. And I was like, dude, you you got to keep that to yourself. You can't say that out loud. You can, but you shouldn't. So anyway, that's where, that's where cockamamie stories like the M&M's things come from. And I've got two brothers and a sister. And we're all two years apart. I'm the oldest. And the closest to me in age wouldn't know the difference between the Senate and the House of Representatives to save his life. 
couldn't tell you any senator we've ever had, let alone the one we have now in the state, and all those kinds of things. Give him a, a steak and a potato and a ball game, and the guy's the happiest dude on the planet. Sometimes I envy how easy it is for him to be satisfied in life. So he doesn't know any of this stuff. And then my other brother, who's the smartest one of, of all of us, who's four years younger than me, who we all have about the same talent level. He just used his better in life. Instead of being a dumbass on the radio, he became a mechanical engineer. And he didn't start paying attention to this stuff to the level that a lot of us do, or at least used to, until Trump turned us into a television show. And then he was all in it. And then now he's back out of it because we're closer to normalcy as far as a political uh, overall macro look, it doesn't feel like it, but we are closer to normalcy now. I was talking to him the other day, and I said something about uh, we have a text thread, and one of the idiots on it is a big Trump uh, dunce, and he says something about, you know, the let's go Brandon. One of the guys on the text thread, his name is Brandon. Somehow this comes up when me and my brother in Nashville are sitting around talking over the holidays, and I, it comes up, and he's like, what are you talking about? Let's go Brandon. What are you talking about? Like the let's go Brandon thing. How funny joke. He's saying, let, he's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm, let's go Brandon. Who, who's Brandon? Brandon. Huh? The dude literally didn't know the let's go Brandon phenomenon thing. You know, the F Joe Biden thing. Good for you if you didn't either, but you probably do. I envy that. I envy being able to shut it off and being able to stay away from these things. And I'm getting better and better and better. And I wasn't planning on spending five minutes of the open. It's just where it went. Coming up today, I'll get you um, three uh, back to a three-segment show. In the second segment of the show, I'm going to look at um, a Ticketmaster thing. Again, I've done it before recently, but from a little different angle, more of a government regulatory kind of angle, and um, and go from there. And then in the final segment of the show, I know a couple of you are going to bail immediately, the Baseball Hall of Fame announcement, the travesty that is the latest member of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fa- or, or Hall of Very Good. I'm going to do that for a segment. I don't do that very often, but I want to. So there you go. You've been warned. Back to a regular, um, normal anyway, three segment, about 20 minutes each. And um, hopefully you're good with that. Let's see, let's see, let's see. So I'll get you three pieces of audio, the realest thing, the worst idea, and the coolest thing here in about uh, six, seven minutes from right now. So I talked about it a little bit last week. Surely I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but the gas prices are skyrocketing. I mean, we've gone up 26, 27, to almost 30 cents a gallon in a week. I will never... Ever, no matter how many times I Google how is gas traded and why does the is there such a fluctuation of pricing, I can read an article that tells me something that seems like it makes sense, and I process it, and then I click out, and I'm like, huh, I don't know anything more now than I did three and a half minutes ago. But it looks like I'm gonna have to start paying three bucks a gallon if it gets. Higher than three fifteen because right now cheapest gas in Eastridge is the Food City and it's up to three oh nine and they take a bath at the gas pump just to get you in the store. If they're at three oh nine, that means we're probably at three fifty in many places in the city, I would guess. And that's getting back to dollar amounts that really, really hurt. And um, I, I just don't know how long we can all continue with with this madness, but. 
we'll uh i guess we'll find out sooner or later so <laughs> speaking of um cable news there was a clip but i i meant to get it and i forgot it's these clowns on fox news who were make are making jokes about how oh damn it pence has classified documents now now we actually oh thanks Leo. thanks for ruining the our big fun joke here at this news network, it was so pathetically unprofessionally dumb. Another reason why I can't trust somebody who consumes this stuff. Mike Pence has, quote-unquote, classified document. Who cares? Joe Biden, cla- who cares? Trump, who cares? The true answer is nobody does. Nobody cared about Hillary's emails. We pretended to care when we got mad about something online. Oh, I'm mad. I'm going to butt her email. Nobody cares about her emails. When I, I was in New York when the Trump story hit in early August last year, and you'd have thought they were having a goddamn parade over this. And the minute I heard about it, I was like, I don't care. What are classified documents anyway? What are they classified of? What is, I understand there's some very important information that doesn't need to be getting out from the U.S. government. But if it's so simple that this stuff is sitting around in a garage for a decade in Delaware or in Iowa at Pence's house, I promise you there's Clinton classified information somewhere. It can't be that important. It can't mean much of anything. And enough. Nobody cares about the classified documents enough. Um, I saw this in a headline on the Times Free Press yesterday. Isn't this great? So the uh, permitless carry that was passed in the last year or so, because that makes a lot of sense. That's 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 a really, really good, uh, thoughtful kind of um, uh, legislation behind carrying a gun. We're going to make sure you don't have to have a permit or have it any kind of documentation because that's going to help what excuse me hello well now it, it was it, they when it, the first draft said at least you you had to be at least 21 to have permitless nope nope now a judge throws it out 18 19 20 year olds can also carry around guns and they don't have to document it or have a permit isn't that great and yes, anybody who happens to be new around here, I hate guns and I'll fight anybody and anything that wants to try to make it easier to get one. That is a, that's not a political statement. That's a phobia of a weapon. I don't like knives either. I don't like bow and arrows. I'm not a big fan of things that can really do damage and hurt people. I don't like it. It's not political. I hate guns. I will do anything and support anybody who's against guns. Every day for the rest of my life, I will never apologize. Never. This isn't about who I vote for. This is about my hatred towards weapons. Sorry. All right. I got a couple of things I'll just shelve for now. Um, I saw the Oscars, um, which I've never been able to understand why anybody would want to watch these shows, these award shows. Now, I will somewhat understand in a music award show because there's performances and uh, most people love music or at least like it and I, I can get that but a movie show a award show or a television award show where they're just basically stroking each other all night long and unless it's Ricky Gervais making fun of all of them I could never understand how this is entertaining and the Oscars are the top of the of the 
why would anybody care thoughts for me and best picture one of the the nominees for best picture is top gun the remake of top gun that goof nonsense b movie that just happened to have a cult like fandom from the 80s is remade and it or at least you know a version of a new version of it and it's up for best picture what are we doing here this is truly the idiot box the big screen has become the idiot box television is in its prime golden years of fantastic wonderful programming the big screen is the idiot box i don't know what the rest of these are except for avatar 2 and i actually saw avatar 1 I guess if that's what it was called, Avatar 1, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't hate it either. I don't know really what, I don't even remember it that well, but I did watch it. And mainly because I have a a, a special piece in my heart for, for Cam, uh, Cameron. What's his first name? Jim Cameron? Is that his name? Why am I forgetting? Mike Cameron. No, he played baseball. James Cameron. James Cameron. My God, sorry. Um, I loved Term- Terminator 2 as a kid. Love it. Love Terminator. Turn, turn, now I can't speak at all. Terminator 1, I liked later on in retrospect. And one of my most fascinating favorite historical stories of all time is the Titanic wreck. And I think his movie in 97 was one of the greatest pieces of uh, film ever made. So I gave Avatar a try because I appreciate Cameron's work. I doubt I'll ever watch Avatar 2. But then again, you never can be too sure of anything in this crazy life that we live. Let's jump into this right now. So this is, um, and I got a couple of things I pulled from the Times Free Press food section yesterday that I was going to maybe get to that totally doesn't matter. But um, it kind of goes with this. This is a dude walking around a grocery store with his phone and just looking at, and when he's talking, he's pointing it at the price sticker on the shelves of the items he's looking at. And I just think it's kind of funny, and we're all feeling it. Grocery store shopping is technically one of my favorite things to do, but it is so expensive, it's becoming harder to actually enjoy it. I'm calling this today's realist thing. Everything is fucking expensive. Don't even know the price of eggs. Fuck me. Six twenty nine for bullshit crackers. Seven twenty nine <laughs> for cranberry juice. If you want some salami, you better take out a second mortgage. These hot plates were five dollars a couple months ago. Nobody buying meat, they can't afford it, so there's this empty row. Five bucks for a can of chunky soup. Fuck you, Campbell. Urban Meadow, bottom of the barrel, mixed nuts. Now six bucks, almost eight dollars for instant oatmeal. And who do I have to blow? Oh, oh. Nine beef patties are now $12. Frozen bullshit. $14 for grapefruit beer. $6.49 for Ben and Jerry's. How can anyone survive? And so one of the things I pulled off here was from the uh, food section of the TFP, and it was uh, just a, one of those consumer reports kind of things of how you can save money and how to make your dollars go further. And it, it, it had a lot of things in it I didn't realize. And, I, you know, call me dumb because I certainly am on many things, but I was today years old when I realized some of these things from this list of ways to, uh, to make your dollar and make your, your, your stocking up go further for you. Lemons and limes, 
you can you can freeze. I had no idea, no clue you could do that. Um, cheese, well, I knew you could freeze it, but I, I don't unless unless you're freezing cheese screws up the consistency of it. I wouldn't do that. Um, but if you were just gonna melt it, I guess that would be fine. Um, butter, I never thought about freezing butter. I learn something new every day. You can freeze milk. Now, if you want it for your uh, uh, your cereal, the consistency is probably not going to hold up, and it probably won't taste that good. But if you just need milk for cooking, I run into that all the time. Needs a splash of milk. Needs a, a quarter cup of milk. I don't care. I don't keep milk at this house ever because I throw it out two-thirds full every single time because unless I'm cooking with milk, I don't drink milk. Never thought about freezing it in, like, ice cubes, like in, in, in ice trays. And uh, same thing with, like, beaten eggs, if you need some eggs for a, a, a recipe. Today years old when I found out about that. Let's go on to the worst idea. I'll spend more time on this at another time. I am so tired of Jeopardy. I am so freaking tired of that show. And I don't have time to get into exactly why right now. But this is today's worst idea. 2021, fugitive Brian Laundrie ended his days in Florida's Mayakahatchee Creek area, home to these long and toothy critters. <laughs> what a bizarre, very dark and roundabout way to ask what an alligator is, Jeopardy. I am so tired of these ridiculous answer of questions. In no universe is the answer to a question, what is an alligator? Something that has to do with a guy who killed his girlfriend last year and then ended up himself turning into alligator food when he went missing running from the cops in the, somewhere in the panhandle. That in No universe do those questions and answers collide in any way. In any way. It's so stupidly annoying. That show has completely drunk, jumped the rails. And I'll complain about that a little bit more in depth at another time and the final one here of the open segment the coolest thing it is a tiktok chick didn't get her name probably should have but i didn't and she's doing the comfortably numb solo from pink floyd on the violin today's coolest thing let's go attempting the comfortably numb guitar solo on violin TikTok, the gift that just keeps on giving, and I am very familiar with Pink Floyd. Obviously, I know much, lots and lots of uh, uh, classic rock being in the genre of music in the radio for a collective 10 years, but I was never much into Pink Floyd all that much, and I still am not. I mean, the only reason I like the song Half a Cigar is because Prime has covered it, and I never really cared about the song Comfortably Numb, even though I understood it was a masterpiece. I didn't I didn't fully appreciate it until Eddie Vedder showed up with Roger Waters at the 12-12-12 Hurricane Sandy Relief in New York. Um, I think it was in December of 2012. Yeah, 12-12-12. And I was blown away by the performance. And, uh, yeah, of course, another thing about Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. But, um, and this version right here, it's just every time I hear it, I have to put on headphones and just turn it up 
as loud as I can, and it's now one of my favorite songs of all time, Comfortably Numb, and it took Eddie Better being involved for me to finally listen and care about it. And that's all I got for the open. Let's shift gear. Actually, not going to really shift gears at all from that at all. Um, Crosby, David Crosby passed away. I'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. And this Ticketmaster thing, and also in a relation to a thing I saw on CNBC, American Greed. And when should government regula- regulation be involved and when shouldn't they be? And it's so arbitrary. Who gets to make that decision? I'll discuss all of that coming up next. has become very traditionalist if it doesn't sound and look and act like something from 20 or 30 years ago the rock culture rejects it and it's really sad because that's like the antithesis of what rock always was rock and roll was never supposed to be your dusty ass dad's music that's like the exact opposite of what rock and roll should have been and for whatever reason hip-hop culture has really taken that torch and run with it. The huge problem with the culture of rock and metal, that it's become a traditionalist genre that's almost entirely focused on the past, which is a huge problem because in order to stay relevant, we need fresh blood, new artists, new sounds, and most importantly, new fans. And based on the way things are going, I'm really not seeing much of that in rock, which honestly makes me pretty worried about the future of the genre. I feel like letting my I made that open before I knew what I was going to do in this segment, or made that rejoin, I should say. But it fits in fine. More on that in a second. This is obviously the, I'd say, the biggest hit that was lead, the lead sung by uh, Crosby from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I don't know that he was the lead singer on another song. I, I know the band's archives pretty well. And they only have a handful of albums. I think this might be the only one. The meaning of the song I've read over the years, it almost cut my hair being I almost went to the draft or the pressures, societal pressures to not be the hippy dippies anymore. I almost did it, but I, damn it, I didn't. Whichever one, interpret it however you'd like. But I loved this record still it's one of my favorite of all time if I had to make a list it would certainly be in the top 20 of my favorite albums of all time probably the top 10 and growing up I didn't understand what this song was about I thought it sounded stupid and it wasn't Stephen Stills and it wasn't Neil Young and even Graham Nash who I didn't love a lot he was Crosby and Nash were my two least favorite of the four guys uh, but I just thought it was kind of a stupid sound of song, and I didn't understand what it was about. But I loved every other piece of from that Deja Vu record from 19, was it 70 or 69, right about then, whenever. And um, and e- even Teach Your Children, which is a st- kind of a silly Graham Nash song, still love that one because the, the harmonies were so great. I mean, in retrospect now, Almost Cut My Hair just helps Deja Vu become that much more of a legendary 
um, record. And that's very interesting what that dude was saying on the front end. And I've never, I don't guess I've really thought about it that way. And I just wonder what are kids doing as, as listening habits. It's kind of be a combo of, of a, a couple thoughts before I get into that Ticketmaster stuff. Is that, yes, it rock and roll tends to think if you try to get more progressive and change, we're not going to accept you into our genre as opposed to like hip hop culture and pop culture and EDM culture, which celebrates and embraces new sounds, new bands, new experimentation. Rock and roll tends to say, yeah, no, you're not fitting in the club anymore. And I guess I'm completely uh, over the years guilty of that as well. That's why Nickelback and that genre of music is butt rock, as we call it now, or at least some do weren't embraced it wasn't because they weren't any good it was because they were a little bit different and the rock genre generally as an overall genre would not welcome them in and over the many decades now it's the rock is dead rock and roll is dead as a mainstream genre of music it just is and it has been for a long time us 40 somethings and 50 somethings and 60 somethings we're never going to be done with rock but 25-year-olds are done with it. I think, I guess, I don't know. So I started thinking about the Deja Vu record and just thinking about how what I was doing in the mid-90s when I'm 15 and 16 and 17 years old. I have my dad's entire record collection. I still own it. My dad had everything that was popular, from Elton John to uh, Steely Dan to Carole King. It didn't matter what it is. I own that record. It's in my garage in a, you know, a big box. And I would listen to these records and then get their CDs later on. All the while still listening to Pearl Jam and R.E.M. and Contemporary Green Day and stuff like that. It's not like I went one way or the other. I, I coexisted with the two. Do 16-year-olds do that? Does a 16-year-old right now... So if I'm listening to um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, if I'm listening to Eat a Peach... If I'm listening to Neil Young's Harvest, which are three of my favorite albums from the early 70s, if, if I'm listening to those when I'm 16, that means they're 26 years old at that time. Is a 16-year-old now in any universe sitting around listening to what was popular 26 years ago? What was that math? 22, 20, that was 1996, 97, 98, 99. Are, is a 16-year-old listening to TLC? Right now, is it are any sixteen year olds listening to? I don't know. Insert something. Smash Mouth. I'm just trying to think of things from the late '90s and early 2000s. Are they listening to? You get my point. I'm I'm blanking, but I I got these are rhetoric. These are not. These are real questions. They're not rhetorical. I don't know, and my guess is they're absolutely not, unless they somehow fall into a TikTok trend or some kind of social media trend. And I I don't know what my greater point is other than if we're not going to accept new and different styles into a, a music genre and then we're not going to embrace the, the generations before us because now everything in youth culture is old is bad because it's all tech-based. An old app is a bad app. An old phone is a bad phone. A new television, smart TV that's not up to date is a bad TV. An old person is bad. And I think that's they're not unique, 
to thinking old equals bad. But to them, they've been conditioned that everything that's old is now garbage. We don't fix it. We don't change it. We trash it and we get a new one. And I think that's happening with music. And rock and roll feels totally dead to me. So that was um, not necessarily the plan for this segment. But it does kind of segue in good with this Ticketmaster thing. Um, I'm, I don't completely understand why the fiasco with Taylor Swift and the ticketing, which I don't even remember the exact details of what was going on there, but I'm not exactly sure why that triggered, uh, panels and committees in Congress to get together and, and subpoena people in for antitrust and monopolized, uh, companies when clearly this country doesn't seem to care at all from a governmental aspect about monopolies and antitrust laws. Uh, This hearing marked the company's third time testifying in front of Congress over antitrust allegations since 1994. Of course, that was when it was started with Pearl Jam. Since Ticketmaster merged with entertainment company Live Nation in 2010, it has dominated the live event space. In 22, the company handled 65% of U.S. ticket sales, while StubHub the second biggest company in the industry, controlled just 14%, according to Bloomberg. I'm going to come back to that point here in just a second. Ticketmaster blamed an influx of bots for causing disruptions on the site and insisted that high processing fees were set by the venues and the artists. Both claims earned raised eyebrows and skepticism from the lawmakers. Sorry, this this print is just so uh, faint, I can't read it that well. And finally, here's a, uh, now this is another thing I'm going to talk about a little bit. Uh, re- revolt might be happening against Ticketmaster with artists if they do like what Zach Bryan has done, where he's announced that his upcoming tour will avoid the ticketing giant at all costs. And I read some on that. There's gonna It's AXS, I believe, is the ticketing company. You can tour outside of Ticketmaster. It's just not that. It's just, it's just not nearly as convenient as easy to do. So when it says that Live Nation and Ticketmaster have 65% of the U.S. ticket sales, that number is probably deceiving to a certain degree. They're not going to, I mean, 65 is a big number. When the secondary is, or the second is StubHub, well, that makes me wonder, what are we even looking at here? What are these metrics? How is this all quantified? StubHub is generally a, a secondary market. It's not a ticketing company. You don't go through StubHub to sell your tickets for your monster tour that's coming up. StubHub is the secondary market to Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Unless they ventured into a world of ticketing and and concert promotion that I'm not familiar with. So who are putting these numbers together? And those percentages might not mean anything. And when you have 65% of the market... All the small clubs, none of them are Ticketmaster. All the exit ends of the world, the signals we have here in town, the um, uh, the orange peel in in Asheville, North Carolina, those are not Ticketmaster venues, but they're still credible, real, live club music venues. So it sounds like 65% is equal closer to actually 100%. And StubHub's number is really not relevant except for now, in the last couple of years, maybe even longer than a couple of years, Ticketmaster themselves are a secondary market within the same platform. 
they sell the tickets, and then people are reselling the tickets two seconds after they have purchased them, making it even easier for people to price gouge and to scalp tickets as we used to often refer to it as, which I spent a lot of time um, on earlier last year at some point. A lot, of, a lot of information here that most people are like, yeah, no duh, dude, I already knew that. More on the ticketing thing here in a minute. I, um, I watched this show on CNBC called uh, American Greed. CNBC is my favorite television channel. I watch it almost, almost exclusively, really, in a lot of ways. I'm sure many people think it's just another cable news channel. It's not. It's business. It's finance. It's uh, the stock market, uh, earnings, all those kinds of things, which will never go uh, get old and go out of style in my book. Not at the middle middle of my life age, over middle of my life age. Money's one of the most important things, uh, should be to all of us anyway. But um, so this show was recently, the, the, the highlight was the company Juul, the um, J-U-U-L, the vape company that took off and exploded and in like four years turned into a 38 million 38 billion dollars worth of sales and the whole thing was about they're they're getting targeted or or they were targeting young people as opposed to being a way for people to stop adults to stop smoking cigarettes started off as a good idea got went out of control then it turns out they're like they're literally targeting through Instagram, which is a 13 years old and up um, a suggested age app at, hey, look how cool it is to vape. And in the end, the government got involved and tore the whole thing down and ruined the company Juul. Um, it had gotten Coke status, Kleenex status, meaning, you know, Coke to soda, Kleenex to tissues, saran wrap to, to, uh, uh, to, to plastic wrap that I, when I first, oh, those are jewels. That's a jewel. No, no, that's the brand. So that that's how cemented it got, and and at a very rapid pace. And when the government got involved, they went after them. Many lawsuits that's not government related, obviously, but between all the, all the lawsuits and the government and the Supreme Court, basically ruined the company Jewel. Now they didn't fix anything. They didn't do anything of really any worth or value. All they did was destroy this company. And were they bad? Were they wrong? I don't know. I'll let everybody else wonder about that. Now there's a million knockoffs. They didn't. They made a few regulations, I'm sure, as far as printing on the packaging and certain things with the FDA. Yeah, they probably did a few of those things. But this, the, the product is still out there. And like tenfold, the product's still out there. It's just Juul got destroyed by the government. Is that good or bad? Whatever. When do we say this doesn't need to happen anymore? Like, when do we not need, this is getting my turn into my, you know, small government guy thoughts, my libertarian stuff. Do I need the the government getting involved with Ticketmaster? I don't know. I want to say yes, but maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe this, 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 uh, this industry needs to correct itself and the, the, the buyers, the consumers need to stop participating. The, the problem is here for the people who want to participate is that young, fun, and cool is still something that young, fun people want to do. They've lost me. I'm done. I'm gone. Unless it's one of my, you know, unless it's Pearl Jam or, or I don't know, some kind of oasis or something that's a, re, you know, REM decides to have a show again at a big arena. I'll probably do that. But outside of that, small shows for me, Nightfall, you know, I'm not, I'm, you're done. You've priced me out. But the 22-year-old still wants to go. 
And where do you draw that line, that arbitrary line? And I want to push back a little bit on old Tay-Tay and all these other bands that are charging all this amount. This Luke, uh, what is his name? Hold on. Zach Bryan, dude. I watched his little video he made with Theo Vaughn. It was kind of funny. Where they're going to have $30 starting tickets and no more than $130 for a premium ticket. I'm sorry. In what world is $130 affordable? I, that, that, that's not a place that I live where 130 bucks is no big deal. So if, if somebody wants to pay that amount of money, fine, go ahead. And if you want to go outside of Ticketmaster and do smaller shows, that's fine too. That's what Pearl Jam did in the 90s. When I first saw them, when they got back on their first major tour after the Ticketmaster boycott in 1998, another company had come around. I bought four tickets for less than with a $100 bill. And Pearl Jam has been price fixing their shows forever. And so, and they're both blaming each other at this deposition or this hearing, this committee hearing. Who's actually doing this? Because if the band doesn't want you to have to pay these I can't dynamic pricing or whatever these different kinds of new terminology is where the price fluctuates minute by minute, then they're not going to have to do that. This is prearranged. This is not just Ticketmaster. This is the events, the, 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 the uh, facilities. This is, these are the bands. And if you, I, I know if you're under a record company deal, a lot of this is out of your hands, but you know how much it costs to go to a Pearl Jam show, whether you sit in the front row or the last row? 99 bucks. You think the Ticketmaster is going to tell Pearl Jam what they're going to charge their, their loyal, fiercely loyal fan base? We're just going to just pick numbers and just start charging more or less because we feel like it. You know what the band says? Yeah, no, you're not. No, you're absolutely not going to do that. And if Taylor Swift wanted that same thing, she'd have it. Because she's not just the biggest musician in the world. She's one of the most famous people in the history of the world. And if she wants something, she will get it. Clearly, between her, her management, and her record company, they don't want it. Or at least, they didn't have the foresight to think about this, which I don't know why they wouldn't. They're professionals of the world at this. This is not new. The pricing is skyrocketing, just like everything else. It is not inflation. Throw that bullshit term out. This is what's going on here in America and all over the world, really. It ain't inflation. I mean, it is. If you want to use the definition of it, it's not. This is absolute uh, corrupt, terrible price gouging because people are seeing that they can get away with it. And the, and the market has got to somehow correct itself. And I, is that 43-year-olds like me saying I'm done going to Bridgestone Arena? Probably not. Probably not because most 43-year-olds are done doing that anyway. I'm not sure what the answer is. But I don't think this is all necessarily Ticketmaster, and I don't think that necessarily uh, the government needs to be sitting around bothering with this. We, Especially since antitrust and monopolies or something we just said, that's fine. That's what we're going to do going forward. We've all collectively given up. Corporations are people too. Hello? Corporations are people too. The Supreme Court 
stated that out loud, that they have the same rights as a living, breathing human being. They clearly don't care about this. The debt ceiling is a terrible crisis. The economy is on the brink of collapse. Maybe we don't need to care how much it costs to go see a Taylor Swift concert. And when monster bands like widespread panic doesn't do it as much as they used to, but they used to have the fixed pricing too. And Pearl Jam legends say, here's how much the tickets cost and you don't get a say in this ticket master. Well then Blink-182 can do it also. And the Eagles can do it also. And Nickelback, who's about to go on their reunion tour and going to sell out all over the place, they can do it too. But guess what? They don't want to. And you know what? Screw them. Maybe just screw them. All of them, I mean. $26 drinks, 120 bucks to go see a concert of a band that's not any good. I just sound like an old asshole. Uh, so anyway, that's a lo- that's a long way of saying I don't know what to do, and rock and roll appears to be dead, and um, that sucks. And you know what else is dead? The integrity that the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball had, and certainly the BBWAA, the Baseball Writers America Association, whatever the hell they're called, they can't be trusted either. People who watch cable news can't be trusted. People who write for the Baseball Writers Association can't be trusted. The Supreme Court can't be trusted. Who can we trust around here? Talking baseball on the way out. Next. Like looking at my mirror and seeing a police car. Coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. It's my honor to announce the results of the 2023 BBWAA Hall of Fame election. This year's ballot featured 28 candidates with 14 newcomers joining 14 holdovers from the 2022 ballot. In arriving at their individual decisions, the electors took into consideration the following voting criteria. The player's record, playing ability, integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contribution to the team or teams for which he played. Tonight, we are pleased to announce the addition of one new member to the Hall of Fame fraternity who will be honored alongside Fred McGriff at the induction ceremony on July 23rd at the Clark Sports Center here in Cooperstown. A two-way superstar playing 17 seasons for the Phillies, Cardinals, Reds, and Blue Jays. Today, Scott Rowland becomes a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. It's an absolute travesty. It's a travesty to the integrity of the writers and to the Hall of Fame itself. And I don't care that much anymore, but once upon a time, I did a lot. This was a tweet that I sent out where I was quote tweeting Major League Baseball. It says, your Hall of Fame class of 2023, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. 
The quote tweet I said was, this 2023 class proves that the writers, baseball writers, can't be trusted in this voting process. It takes a special committee to get a merited McGriff in the Hall of Fame, but the writers vote in a pretty good player like Scott Rowland. Hashtag pathetic, hashtag travesty. The point being, if I didn't, I stumbled on that a little bit, is that it took a special committee to get Fred McGriff, who would not be voted in by the baseball writers. Why they have so much power in this, I'll never understand. It's such a pretentious group of pricks and mostly old assholes. But how they have so much power is annoying. But they did not elect Fred McGriff, a special committee, the Veterans Committee. I don't know, every like a couple generations, Major League Baseball puts together, or the Hall of Fame Foundation puts together a special committee to look at anybody who they think might have gotten snubbed. And Fred McGriff got in this year because he deserved to be in, and the writers didn't put him in for some reason. And a lot of times that's for all the stuff we know, steroid use, integrity issues, things like that. Fred McGriff had none of those things, at least not that anybody knows of. And he has monster numbers. He's supposed to, he, he completely fits the character profile here of a Hall of Famer. So on the, on the year that the special committee puts in Fred McGriff deserving of years ago, this, this same year, one additional uh, enter, entrant into the Hall of Fame, the writers put in Scott freaking Rowland. I, I, I'm sorry if you don't have any idea who the guy is. There's a chance you don't. I've talked to many baseball fans who barely even recognize the name Scott Rowland. And when you do this kind of stuff, this is precedence, precedence matter. That's why I always go on, on about this on things with the government, things with traditions, things with that, that don't matter like baseball, or at least don't matter on a real level, that precedents always matter and breaking of precedents matter also. And when you start putting in half-ass, pretty good, decent number guys into the Hall of Fame, you've ruined it. And I know most people think this is silly and baseball's my favorite thing in the world almost. I mean, if I had to rank top five favorite things in the world, I don't know what number one is, but baseball would be considered for that. And it's the ultimate game of numbers. It's the um, it's the ultimate game of tradition. It's one of the first great things as an overall establishment that this country created. Uh, I know that might sound like a little bit of a stretch, meaning not necessarily since 1776. I, I, I get the Constitution and the country is bigger than baseball, but it is a big early on event invention of America. It's America's game. It was the main source of entertainment for the longest time, and its numbers and records are cherished, and the sanctity of the history of the game used to mean a lot, and for a lot of us old-school types, it still does. But it's completely changed my thought process on who I think should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I was a Barry Bonds hater. Hater. He's the greatest player in the history of the game. 
He might be the greatest player in the history of any sport. I know that's a bold statement. But the domination that that man had for about, well, really a 20-year stretch, but the real domination was about a five- to seven-year stretch of just the guys on another planet. He's an alien. Now, he's juiced out of his mind with some of the greatest talent in the history of the game. I hate his guts so bad. He's a total asshole. Treated people bad. Treated the media bad. Um, was just, I mean, just feeling himself, smelling himself from the jump. I mean, he was, I just liked this guy when I was, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old watching the Braves and the Pirates. Like, this guy has been enemy number one in baseball for me since I'm old enough to understand what hating a baseball player even is. He's the greatest player in the history of baseball, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. The hits leader, Pete Rose, of course, we all know this, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the, uh, Roger Clemens, the only reason that Barry Bonds not being in the Hall isn't a race-fueled argument for all these years, because you know us, we love ourselves some race wars. Can't wait to make everything about black and white. That's what we do. Ah, you're racist. Um, the only reason this isn't a race war, two reasons, is that the records that he broke were of a black man of high uh, regard and high integrity, Hank Aaron. And the other greatest player in the history of the game, Roger Clemens, was a juiced-out, cheating bastard, too who was also a prick, who also treated people poorly, who also treated the media badly. And so those two were kind of like the the two posters of, oh, yeah, screw you, buddy. We'll make sure you don't get in this club. Two of the greatest players that ever played the game, maybe two of the greatest players that ever played any sport ever, and the hits leader, of all time, and there's not even a closest second, they're not in the Hall of Fame. As soon as you say that, you've now ruined the whole thing. And there's not even really a reason to do this segment. I'm going to do it anyway because I like talking baseball. But let's just move away from that because I got I was so hatred-fueled towards two of those. I don't hate Pete Rose. I, I wish Pete Rose was in. I think he's done his time. I think he deserves to be in. It's not going to happen. But then you start getting into that second-tier class, Sammy Sosa. The guy hit 60-plus home runs three times. Never been done before. Over 600 home runs. Not in. I'm fine with it. Uh, Mark McGuire, same deal. Not those big of numbers, but close. Rafael Palmeiro, who got – and a lot of these guys got caught. Not everybody did get caught. And so that's that thin line. That's the, that is your arbitrary numbers. What are we doing here? How are we deciding this? Uh, who else? Alex Rodriguez, who got caught like twice. That guy has turned it around. That guy has turned it around a lot. I don't dislike A-Rod like I used to. A-Rod is a, one of the best players of a generation. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. 
what are we doing here? And then it, there's this other little wrinkle of just trying to figure out what are the qualifications to be in the Hall of Fame? Literal, literal question out loud. What are the qualifications? There's, it, it's all arbitrary. There, it's not defined, which I guess gives it some of its lore, I guess. This coming from a sport who gives its quote-unquote best player the most valuable player award. Value can't always be quantified. What's value to you might be crap to me. I mean, the best player on a team might not be the most valuable player on a team. And so I guess they leave this stuff open-ended so we can just argue about it every year. And lame, boring, I don't uh, uh, prepare and I don't do any actual real work. Sports talk shows can have their, uh, who should, you know, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Give us a call. What do you think? You know, every year. And who's the real MVP here? 642-649-106. Give us a call. Tell us what you think. That asinine, boring nonsense that you hear on the airwaves in this stupid town and our awful media and sports media. Even though I, I'm not a big fan of Jay Greason, I liked his article in the paper yesterday about it. Rare for me to compliment Greason. I'm glad I don't have to hear him on the damn radio anymore. So, yeah, what is the the definite? What is the qualifications to even be in the damn thing? And so, in in no just world, in no universe, is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? And where this started to really erode was a handful of years ago. I'm not going to bore you with numbers and all this stuff, and I could have. I thought about it. Um, but the Special Veterans Committee, must have been a buddy of his on this committee, Harold Baines got elected to the Hall of Fame. If you know, you know. Harold Baines sucks compared to what a Hall of Famer is supposed to be. He played more in the 80s, mostly in the 80s and early 90s. I think Alan Trammell, same time frame, is also in the Hall of Fame. Sorry for not knowing that for sure. I forgot to fact check that. I think another really nice player, Detroit Tigers shortstop, nice player. Would love to have him on my team. Would contribute to a quality baseball team. In no world that makes any sense is he supposed to be a Hall of Famer. That's where those precedents set. And the days of not having anybody elected, I have a feeling though they're kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudging, and saying, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We have a whole ceremony where people travel and spend their money, and you know we have a whole event here to put people in the Hall of Fame. We're not going to not put people in the Hall of Fame. We're going to put somebody in every year. And there were no real good choices this year. And I'm biased. I think Andrew Jones should be in. I think his numbers stand up. I think he's a generational player. I'll let everybody else argue whether they agree or not. I think he will get in eventually. But here's the numbers. And the biggest one here in Braves country in the South is, should Dale Murphy be in the Hall of Fame? And I say no. Not based on what I've been taught and what I had learned that the, that the Hall of Fame was supposed to represent and supposed to mean. Now, he's got all the integrity in the world. Might be one of the nicest men you'll ever talk to. I think he's a Mormon, actually. I know he lives out in, uh, in uh, 
Utah. Maybe he's not a Mormon, but um, not that that means anything. But one of the nicest men ever. And for about six or seven years, was the greatest player in all of baseball. Six, seven, eight years or so. Just That's about it. Maybe not even eight. He didn't have that long of a career. His knees gave out at the end. When he was limping on his way out trying to hit his 400th home run, he was literally limping on the way out. He couldn't play anymore. His knees didn't work. Him and Scott Rowland are the exact same player. The only difference is Scott Rowland dropped in about 15 extra base hits a year. Quite literally, 10 to 15 little flares dropped into the outfield and gave him a better average. Scott Rowland, 281. Dale Murphy, 265. That's the big knock is the 265. 15 more hits a year, and you're and he's hitting nearly 300. Um, hits, just over 2,000 for Scott Rowland. Dale Murphy, 2,100. Home runs, Scott Rowland, 316. Dale Murphy, 399. Runs batted in, 1,287 for Rowland. Dale Murphy, 1,265. Those differences are so small, they're basically the same player. Scott Rowland, seven times an All-Star. His only awards outside of that was he was a Rookie of the Year, one Silver Slugger, meaning the best hitter hitter at his position, and eight gold gloves. He was an elite third baseman. He's the main reason Chipper Jones didn't win any gold gloves because while Chipper Jones was quality gold glove player, Rowland was better. Here's Dale Murphy's awards as a player. Seven-time All-Star, same. Five gold gloves, just a few less. Four silver sluggers. Two times National League home run leader. Two times National League RBI leader. And two-time MVP. Scott Rowland didn't come within the top ten of an MVP in any season he ever played. Oftentimes, he wasn't the best player on his team. I would say most times, certainly in those Phillies years, that was a good Phillies team he played on. It was a good Cardinals team he played on, too. I bet he wasn't the top three best players on any of those teams. Dale Murphy was the best player in the world for two years in a row. Back-to-back MVP seasons. Seven All-Stars, four Silvers. I mean, this is this is insane. Now, I think they both shouldn't be in. But you can't have one without, uh, without the other. And this is the Harold Baines effect on the baseball nomination and, and voting process. Oh, well, yeah, Harold Baines got in. Alan Trammell's in. Uh, when is Scott rolling? Not one of the most popular players of the 1980s. Don Maddenly. I don't have his numbers. I bet they get close to those same kind of numbers. For five years, was the best player in the American League. This is just, gosh, frustrating. It's terribly frustrating. And why these writers get all of this power on this, I guess it's just tradition. I guess it's just the way that it always has been. And I guess that's just about all I got here. This is from uh, Paul Hay or Paul Heyman. That's from the WWE. Uh, John Heyman. 
Baseball Hall of Fame Election Day, a cause for more sadness. Baseball Hall of Fame Election Day is a time to celebrate our wonderful game, but unfortunately it's also become an annual exercise to regret, to question, to condemn, and to second guess. Congrats to those who polled well, but no congrats to the riders who like to pat ourselves on the back but continue to lead the league in fickle. Forever I've been defending the voters, who include me. It's a good system, and I say in the face of the avalanche of criticism. But as it turns out, we are wishy-washy. We are way too easily influenced. Then it starts to show a bunch of the numbers and where this year's ballot, top of the ballot, all of the, these guys had less than 20% of the vote four years ago. And now all of them have almost enough of the vote, and Scott freaking averages grits, vanilla as hell, Scott Rowland is now got 76% of the vote. You need 75 to get in, when four years ago he was at 17%. That doesn't make any sense. And Andrew Jones, a generational player, is way on the outside looking in. Fred McGriff has to be put in by a special committee. What in the hell are you doing? And that's it. I'm done. Thanks for sticking through that. I appreciate it very, very much. And hey, look like look at that. Just like that, snap your fingers. And the first month of 2023 is gone. We'll do it again to start February next week. See you later. Bye. Siva, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey It was Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey